Fuente, for those of you who don't know me. I've had a chance to preach here, I think, back in November. March? March. So six months ago. My wife is making sure I get the right date over there. But back in March was the last time I was able to preach here. So, so a lot of you are familiar. Uh, Lord willing, this is the, the home we'll have for our church. I used to pastor down in Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler. Uh, I was the young adult's young professionals pastor down there. And, uh, you know, so basically the idea was 20s to 30s uh, people, whether they're single, young married, young families, it's a very different demographic now. You know, growing up, you had your demographics. You had your babies, your toddlers, your children, your youth, your college, and then you had this kind of career, and then you were just an adult. And uh, the former senior pastor back then, uh, Pastor Mike uh, Sproul, you know, said, I think, I think it's changing now, especially with this millennial generation. They kind of need a different form of attention that they're accustomed to. So kind of instead of fighting kind of that demographic, maybe you just have someone who understands it. And the reason why Pastor Mike came to me, I had just wrapped up my Master of Divinity because I was doing it for the chaplaincy for the United States Air Force. And he goes, do you think, and I was going to do it as a reservist, so I wasn't going to be active duty. And he says, do you think uh, the Lord's calling you to be a pastor, specifically for this demographic? Uh, you know, so I prayed about it. He goes, yeah, sure, I think so. I'm called to that. And uh, the reason why he reached out to me, because in addition to going into military chaplaincy, my experience is actually is in uh, information technology. So I've been working in corporate for a long time. Uh, I was a software developer. Now I do some management work. But I've been able to do, uh, the thing about software development, you do a lot of, uh, work in different industries. So I started out with e-commerce, kind of what you know about internet buying today. I uh, worked in telecom, worked in uh, finance, insurance, traffic and public safety, uh, human resources. So I've just been, you know, been to different places and met different people. And so the idea was that the church would have this pastor that would make that connection. And, and the ministry has grown since then. And, you know, now I think it's mature enough that I can press on to other parts of, of the Lord's ministry, and hopefully the Lord uh, leads us here, which is kind of what we're planning. So please pray for us, as that's what we, uh, we intend to do. My family's back there, uh, my wife Jeannie, my daughter Anya, my oldest son David, my second son Nathan, and my mom Lynn is back there. So uh, pray for us as we ask for the Lord's guidance. Uh, so please turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And if, you, uh, if we could, if you're able to, let's stand for reading God's word. So Ecclesiastes chapter 11, uh, verse 9. Thank you, yeah. And then we will read from verse 9 to verse 10. So Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11 uh, verse 9 and verse 10. And God's word reads, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that all these, that uh, for all these God will bring you into judgment. Therefore remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. I pray now may you bless uh, the word we're about to hear, I ask that you may speak to me and through me and do a change that only you can do through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Please take your seats. 
So the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon reflecting on life, specifically his. And if you remember Solomon, when he was young, God asked him, what do you want? Whatever it is that you desire, I will give you. And Solomon asks for wisdom. And that's what God gives him. In fact, we can say that he was the wisest man that ever lived. The problem with Solomon, though, the wisdom that God gave him, he didn't always use it the best way. In fact, he uses wisdom a lot of times for the worst ways. He uses wisdom a lot for politics. So we, he's known to have had many wives. But those wives weren't always meant just for him to have a relationship with. Some of, those, uh, some of his wives were meant to create a political uh, alliance. So he would marry some ruler's daughter, and that allowed them to have that political or uh, regional alliance. What happens is that allowed a lot of idolatry and sinful things to enter Israel. So instead of keeping Israel separate from the world, Solomon's wisdom brought more of the world's influence into Israel. And of course, now as he reflects in his life, he realizes that there's some things that you just don't do. In fact, he says, life is just vanity. It's just a vapor. Life will end eventually. And he's trying to say how you live your life will be very important because that's going to reflect this is going to cause you to reflect later on and realize, did you just waste your life? What did you do with it? In fact, you see that in Proverbs, Solomon is trying to provide instruction to his son, specifically to young men in general, but really just to everybody. And the wisdom here is better watch out for these things. There's a lot of foolishness in the world. The world will derail you. And he's trying to say, do things instead. Like he'll make examples like, follow the ant. Here's what the ant does. In order to enjoy winter, they work hard in the summer. Instead of you being influenced by people who shouldn't speak into your life, avoid them. Instead, pay attention to people who can teach you. He even says things like, you know, I get it. Experience is a great teacher. But you know what would be greater? If you learn from the experience of others instead. Try not to absorb all experience because that may not always be the best thing for you. You already have someone who has experienced it and now knows the wisdom. How about you learn from them? When you go to Ecclesiastes, Solomon is trying to say that here's the thing. Life is short. So what are you going to do with the life you have knowing that it is short? I mean, it was even, even shorter back then. Today, people are now able to live past 70. So much so, the government has decided their retirement age now needs to go higher. It used to be lower. We're like, well, you know, so that we don't have to provide all this other stuff, we're going to extend retirement age. So now it takes even longer for you to retire because people are living longer now. But even with the long life or the longer life we have today, Life is still short. I mean, think about the longest recorded men who ever lived in Scripture. It was what, over 900 years old. And he's not with us today. So that tells you life is short. 
whether you live for 30 years or you live for 100 years, life is still short. In the military, we're slowly seeing pretty much every World War II vet passed away. I think we just had another one recently, and he was towards the end of World War II. And now you're also starting to see our Vietnam vets starting to pass away, which means even for me, there's going to be a time when I'm not going to be here anymore, and no one's going to remember all of the accomplishments I've had. And Solomon is saying, that's life. If you look at Ecclesiastes, especially chapter 3, he even tells you there are seasons in your life. There are going to be times where he's going to be happy. There are going to be times where he's going to be sad. There's going to be times where you're going to have to work really hard. And there are going to be times where you can relax. There's time for sorrow. There's time for grieving. But there's also time for laughter, for enjoyment. In other words, in whatever part you are in your life, each one of them has its own season. And you have to be ready to how you deal with that when you get to that season in your life. Like just reflecting on my own life. Looking back at even at mine, all these different chapters I've gone through. I remember when I entered being a teenager. Ooh, that was rough. Because I started worrying about my hairstyle than taking out the trash. Okay? Like looking back now at my forgetfulness, was I really forgetful or I just didn't have the right gel to use for that day? And I remember when I now entered into college. And now college was like, ooh, this is rough because I'm just one step away from adulthood. And you know what I don't want to be? I don't want to be poor. So I poured a lot of my energy into college. And then when I graduated, it's like, oh, now it's real. Wait, am I going to be poor or not? So now I have to look for a job. And then at first it wasn't great, and then it was great, and then it wasn't great, because I've been experienced layoffs before, and then it was great. I go through all these different seasons. And then I got married. I'm like, ugh, how am I going to support people? Just already have to figure out, because they're probably not going to live off peanut butter and jelly like I did. And I had to figure that part out. Same thing with children and so on and so forth. But you know what? There were ups and downs. There were peaks and valleys. There were roller coaster highs and roller coaster lows. And Solomon says, be prepared for those things. Now, as he wraps up Ecclesiastes, in fact, what's great is if you go to the end of Ecclesiastes, he tells you what our purpose is eventually. He says, What is the purpose of man? It's to glorify God and obey him. That's what Solomon says. Because in the end, when you look at your life, that's what you're going to judge it on. You're going to be able to say how much I followed God, how much I glorified God, and how much I obeyed Him. Because that's where Solomon is at at this point. What did I do with my life? He was the wisest man that ever lived, and even he is like, I didn't do that well. And now he's giving us the wisdom to understand how we're supposed to follow or how to live our life. So you have the whole book of Ecclesiastes. But today we're going to look at a small section of that. We're going to look at chapter 11, verse 9 and 10. And in this one, Solomon says, Young man, enjoy your life. Or let's just put it this way. You enjoy your life, especially when you're young. Walk in the way of your heart. Do the things your heart desires. Know that God will judge. 
Know that he will, he will look at what you've done. And then he says, remove stress, remove anxiety, remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh. Because your childhood, your youth, it'll just disappear. You don't have it very long. You don't have it very long. I asked a group of young people about this verse. So I gave them these two verses, and I go, hey, let me ask you guys, what did you focus on when you read these verses? What's interesting to me, it's fairly consistent that every time they read this verse, they jump right into God's judgment. I'm like, why did you jump into God's judgment? Didn't you hear the first part where Solomon says, hey, enjoy your life. And there's even a latter part that says, don't be stressed. Be stress-free. Why is it that you focus so much on God's judgment? And the thing is, they said, because that's what's making it difficult for them to enjoy life. Imagine of all the things that was said there, Solomon is basically saying, and God is instructing us through Solomon, enjoy your life. And where did they hone in? They focused on the judgment. Why? Because it's the judgment that makes it difficult for them to enjoy life. I go, okay, fine. How about I reword it? Not saying this official Bible, but let me reword it a little bit. What if it says here, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that God will ask for an accounting. So I changed it. Change it from judgment to an accounting. You go, well, that's still tough. And I have to write down everything I've done. And I have to present. I don't know here if anyone here has worked in auditing. I don't enjoy auditing. Because I get audited from time to time. Hey, did you do this? Did you accomplish that? Did you follow these steps? Did you do this process? Did you improve the process? Like, oh, accountants. I have to do it yearly. And we all dread when it happens, right? Because you feel like they're looking at you like, this is why you're a terrible person. Every time audit comes around, you feel like, what is it that I did wrong that now they're going to report to my boss, and now my boss is going to be like, you need to change that. I don't like it. So what happens is when I change the word to accounting instead of judgment, that's the conclusion, and I understand that. I don't like accounting. So I go, okay, fine. Let's change it again. What if it says here, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know this. God will ask you, how's your day? Does that change things? It's surprising that even people don't like being asked how their day went. Like even for me, when I ask my kids, how's your day? It's fine. All the things that happened, you woke up, you went to school, you walk. my kids walked to school, you walk back and everything in between is just fine. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to account for what you did. But it's sad because God is telling you, enjoy your life. Just know that I will ask, how did you enjoy life? But the thing is, we're just worried about the accounting. We're worried about tracking. We're worried about what I might reveal when God judges how I lived my life. Why is that? Why are we so worried? So as I continued to press, I said, what is it that you're worried about? 
it's hard to enjoy life because we're more concerned about God's judgment rather than enjoying the goodness He created. Why are you worried about the goodness that God created? Because I'm probably not going to enjoy that part of life. Knowing that God is good and knowing that He's created goodness should be enough for us to enjoy life. But what tends to happen? A big reason why there's a worry about an accounting is because it's probably not God's goodness that you enjoyed. It's probably not the goodness that He created you enjoyed. In fact, it's probably the perverseness that you enjoyed. Now here's the thing. It's not unusual for that to happen because just even look at the garden. If you look at the garden in Genesis, God declares everything He created good. And He tells Adam and Eve, enjoy this goodness. In fact, here's the job that you have to do. Your job is to have dominion over this, this creation I declared good. Go name the animals. Go forth and multiply. Go enjoy this. And He says, by the way, just don't partake of this fruit. Where do they hone in? They're surrounded by God's goodness and they hone in the one thing God told them not to partake of. Imagine being surrounded by so much goodness. You're not hungry. You're not worried about safety. You're not worried about does this look good? Does this look bad? It's just everything and God declared it good. But instead, you focus on that one thing that God told you not to focus on. And now your desire is that instead of God's goodness. Now, here's the thing. Would you have done differently if you were in the garden? Because I would tell you right now, I don't think that's just an Adam and Eve problem. I don't think that was unique to them. That's unique. That's, that's something we all go through. I mean, God could have said, don't step on this one patch of grass. And guess what you're going to hone in? Stepping on that patch of grass. And here's how I know. Because I finally realized what kind of people we are when I had children. Also realizing I was a kind of kid. But my children. I remember, I'm going to put my oldest son here on the spot. When he was about two or three, he loved touching the buttons on the entertainment center, like the TV or the equipment and all that stuff. And I tell him, son, don't touch those. Like, look, there's so much toys here. There's so much room here. There's so much for you to do. Just don't touch that button. And here's what he did. He goes like this. He doesn't touch it. And then he looks at me. And I'm like, ooh. Ooh. Because it's almost one of those things. I'm not touching it. I want to touch it. I'm about to touch it. I'm not touching it. And you're like, boy, that's the same as touching it. At this point, that's the same as touching it. You couldn't focus on all these choo-choo trains I got you, these cars, these toys, you know, even snacks. But instead, you focus on the thing I told you not to touch. I'm sure if my mom were up here, she'd give you stories of me doing the exact same thing. And then, when my son does touch it, 
What does he worry about? My judgment. The judgment that's about to go down. But the sad thing is, he didn't have to touch it. Because here's the thing. What we don't realize, there are two sides to this judgment. You could also be judged on how you enjoyed life. Did you enjoy it? We're so worried about the punishment that's going to go down, because what we do is we pervert God's goodness. That's why we can't enjoy life. We're so much worried about what's going to happen when we do enjoy it. Because we might not be enjoying it the way God wants to enjoy it. And that's what we're worried about when it comes to judgment. But imagine if we focused on God's goodness, because there's enough goodness God put into this earth. There's enough there. Like, for example, when I talk to these young guys or these young gals, back when I was pastoring, I'd ask them, hey, they would always ask me, Pastor, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And I go, I think I do. Are you working right now? No. God's will is for you to get a job. <laughs> How do you know that, Pastor? Because if you don't work, you don't eat. Said in the Bible. But what job should I get? It doesn't matter. As long as it's honest, as long as it gives you the right wage, you go get that job. But what if I don't like it? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, get a job. Well, how am I supposed to enjoy it when you get paid? Stop looking for work that gives you passion. Find work that can pay for your passion. And enjoy life that way. But what if I don't like my boss? As long as he doesn't hurt you, you keep obeying what he's saying. God has already given how you can enjoy life. The thing is we want to put caveats and asterisks and conditions and how well does this work for me, right? We put all those things in there instead of enjoying the goodness that God has already given. And you can't tell me, and I tell these guys, you can't tell me there's no work out there. I mean, there's a donut shop down the road, 18 bucks an hour. Start off there. You don't like it? Get another job. You need a skill? I'll teach you one. If I can't teach it, I know someone who can. But there's really no excuse for you to not work. Because it's through that work that you will see God's goodness in your life. I struggled with giving a tithe until God says, Here, I'm giving you money because you can give. So I gave. God goes, Oh good, you're faithful in that. Let me give you more money. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to give more. My God, this giving is hard. Oh, really? Well, let me give you some more. It's like, all right. So you keep giving more. And now I enjoy it. I've enjoyed the goodness that God has given to me because now I can give that goodness to other people as well. In other words, we should stop looking at the judgment as like we're about to get punished. Because the reason why you're looking at God's punishment because you're probably not doing what God wants you to do. But what you do instead is enjoy God's goodness by doing the good things God has already declared as good. So now let's continue then. So what is it that makes it difficult? Because it's the accounting is a problem as well. The reason why the accounting is a problem, not only is because we're worried about how God will look at the accounting, we're also worried about what other people will think about the accounting. Look at the world we live in today. 
how much people are asking for affirmation from everybody else. You know what's worse with the world today? It's down to 50-50. Back when I was growing up, you could still get like a 70-30 split. Right? You had people who like either agreed with you comp uh, mostly or disagreed with you mostly. And hopefully that got you the direction where you needed to go. Today it's 50-50. If if, I don't know if you follow either the news or social media comments or polls. 50-50. And what happens is now it's becoming even more difficult to decide what to do. Because half said you're right and half said you're wrong. Well, am I really mostly right or mostly wrong? I don't know. Kind of split down the middle right now. What, what this has told me is people value what the world says more than what God says instead. There's more value to what the world says than what God is saying. When I've had young people ask me, Pastor, I don't know. I spoke to one pastor and I spoke to you and both of you have given different opinions. And what I tell them, you know what that tells you? You need to pray. Because... Both of us can't be wrong because we're not teaching you anything sinful. What's different is the approach we're asking you to do. And what's happening is you're hoping that we give you the approach. What you're really worshiping is our approach, not what God is telling you what to do. If you're now talking to two pastors and both of us are saying your approach should be this. I mean, the message is consistent. Obey God. But the approach is different. The problem is you're not exercising faith at this point. Because you're more reliant on what we say. And by the way, this is not unique to them. I do the exact same thing. Like recently, so we, uh, my wife got into a car accident. Car is totaled. So we have to replace the car. Something we weren't planning to do, right? I mean, we were planning to replace it, but more like three, four years down the line. But now we have to replace the van. We ended up getting another car. The moment we got the car, the first thing I did was go online to see who likes the car. And it split. I'm like, oh no, did I buy the wrong car? But wait, this other guy says it's great. Maybe I bought the right car. And then I see another guy, no, 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 you should have bought this other car. Instead of like, oh, what am I going to do? Did I buy the right car or the wrong car? And you know what I ended up getting reminded? God gave you the car. So it was the right car. In fact, we hardly had to put anything into this new car because the car was total. It was a Toyota Sienna, which means it held its value really well. And the insurance gave us a good amount of money for it. Not only that, it turns out we bought the right car when we bought the van because my wife is safe. God bless us with that van because if you saw the picture of that van, you would have been like, oh no, was she hurt? I mean, she got a little next up because of the airbag. But it was the right car. Why am I so worried about what people think about what happened and how we went about it in the car that we got? Instead of like saying, God, thank you for what you have provided. In fact, I shouldn't just be worried about God's judgment for doing the wrong thing. I should also be worried about the judgment of enjoying the thing that God gave me. I think sometimes you worry about judge because we did something wrong. But what do I tell you? God is also going to judge you on how you lived your life even in enjoying His goodness. How did you enjoy what God has given you? Did you dread it? Oh man, I have this big house. Or God, thank you for this house you've given me. You know what? My job is just annoying. How about God, thank you for the job that you've given me. I don't always have the best of co-workers, but... 
Not only do I get what I need, but I get what I want for my family. Oh, I don't know if I like what I'm hearing at church. Well, you have a good church. Thank God for that church. God, your word is convicting me right now. How about a thank you? Because now God is giving you the instruction you need for your life. When we look at God's accounting, He's not just going to account for what you did wrong. He's going to account for also what you, how you lived. If you're a Christian, your judgment is different. If you're a Christian, God is not judging you for condemnation. God is going to judge you for how you lived your Christian life. In fact, this is what I tell people. There's going to be one more time where you might feel sad. It's not giving enough back to Jesus when you finally get the rewards. He's not going to want it. It's just that when people, it says in the Bible, when people finally receive their crowns, their desire is to give the crowns back because of how much they love Jesus for saving them. And here's the sad part. There's some who will have nothing to offer. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're going to receive, they're going to see the fullness of God's love through Jesus. And that alone is great. But you're going to have people who are going to say, I have nothing to offer back to Him. I almost wondered the thief on the cross who received Jesus at the last moment. And God says, Jesus says, don't worry. You're going to be with me in paradise. I don't know what it's going to look like for Him. What will He have to offer Jesus back? I mean, He'll be grateful enough to be with Jesus in paradise for all eternity. But I don't know about you, but if I see all these people offering something back to Jesus, even though Jesus gave it to them, He's not asking for it back. What will I have to offer back to Him? Even though He doesn't want it, it's mine. But will I have anything to offer Him? Because that means I live my life the way I'm supposed to if I have something to offer Him back. I'm not saying that's you, that's me. That's me. The accounting I'm going to give God, the one I'm going to give Jesus, this makes you wonder that I live my life for Him. I'm so worried about judgment that I didn't take time to enjoy the goodness I received through Jesus Christ. When we look at this passage, we should look at it as, as a challenge. Young people, how are you looking at your youth? Are you wasting it? I'm not saying you can't play video games or hang out with your friends. I'm not saying any of that. I think sometimes people go, I'm going to enjoy God's goodness, so I'm just going to sit in this corner, wear a tie, just not talk to anybody because I might mess up. No. In fact, it's the opposite. God is saying, enjoy your youth because your youth is going to go away that fast. What are you doing to enjoy your young life? For us who have already gone through our young life, how are you encouraging, teaching, providing wisdom to these young people on how they should live your life? I'm at a point now where I'm starting to feel like that man who says, get off my lawn. Okay? I'm like, guys, stop it. The challenge I'm seeing from this passage is even at my age, I should be encouraging young people to enjoy life the way God intended them to enjoy life. 
I shouldn't hold them back. There's so much goodness that God has made that I should be imparting wisdom on how to enjoy life. Whether that's reading God's word, whether that's in prayer, whether it's exercise faithfulness, whether it's in finding a job, maybe even finding their partner for life, whether in the future of raising kids, whether in buying things, I should be able to impart wisdom to a younger generation so that they can see God's goodness. They shouldn't see God as someone that just says, no, you can't do anything. They should see God as someone that says, hey, through the wisdom and knowledge and goodness that God has given, this is how you enjoy life. So we are now challenged to do the same thing. But overall, the underlying message that allows us to enjoy life it starts with Jesus. It is through Jesus that we get a peace that the world doesn't understand. The peace that comes from God through Jesus is what allows us to enjoy life. The world attempts to confuse us. The judgment of the world, just the only thing it really does is affirm our separation from God. And our separation from God is what makes it difficult for us to enjoy life. Look at the world today. All they want is affirmation to do whatever they want. And are they happier for it? They are not happy. In fact, it's worse. Look what we did, 2012. That's when the Defense of Marriage Act was removed. Were people happy when that was taken out? No. Because you know why? They still wanted more. Affirm more for us. Let me raise my kids however I want. Now we're already at, let me live my life however I want. Let me, I mean, this is the sad part. Let me have a relationship with anyone I want. Not only also do they want you to affirm it, they want you to celebrate it. And I'm going to tell you what. I mean, Lord willing, we don't do that. But I'm going to tell you, if the world decides to celebrate it, I'm going to tell you, they're still not happy. You know why? Because there's still something in them that says this is not how life is supposed to be. Paul teaches that in Romans. God has given us a conscience to know what's right and what's wrong. But what have people done? They've given to sell themselves to perversion. And you know what? They're not any happier for it. No matter how much we affirm who they are, they're going to ask for one more thing to affirm. And it'll never happen. All the world does is affirm that we are separated from God. But this is the reason why Jesus Christ is really the way for you to understand how to truly enjoy life. What this does is coming to Jesus affirms that we need redemption. But what's great is in affirming that we need redemption, God offers it to us. We can have redemption. It's not just, yep, you're a terrible person and then walks away. No. The God's word reveals to you what kind of person you are, but then he tells you how to turn from that nature, to turn from that person. Romans reveals to you that you are a sinner, that you are unrighteous, and that you can never meet God's standard. But then he says that even though the wages, what you deserve for your sin is death, he tells you the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. It tells you that while you are still a sinner, even in your current state, Christ died for you. 
And then the Bible also tells you that receive Him. Call on His name. Believe that He is Lord. Believe that God has raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. And it is from there that we receive a peace that passes all understanding. And that's just from Romans. Imagine reading the whole scripture and finding out what God has done in your life. How you truly can take this verse, young man, young woman, rejoice and enjoy your life. How you not worry about the judgment in a negative way. Live a life that is Christ-centered. And you know what? When you have that, you will have peace. You won't be anxious at all. In fact, you will be far more hopeful, far more ready to share the same peace with other people. It is through that faith in Christ that you will have the peace that passes all understanding and you end up enjoying the life God has given you. Let us pray. Father in heaven.